Although we both identify as Roman Catholic, our aim is not to convert or convince. We have no official affiliation with any religious body and present here only our own interpretations and opinions of these stories. We understand and expect that some listeners may not have spiritual belief in certain aspects of these events, but we hope you find value in them as historical narratives which are inextricably tied to the times, places, cultures, and spiritual beliefs of the people who lived and retold them. Due to age and variable documentation practices, we cannot guarantee the historical accuracy of these stories. Hi, everyone, and welcome to A Martyr and a Monk. That's Christina. And that's Victoria. Uh, so first, we have a couple things to talk about. Uh, firstly, my little nephew recently started preschool, and he brought home a terrible disease. Uh, so I apologize if I sound gross. I will try not to be more gross than absolutely necessary. Uh, and then also, we are sorry we have been uh, dark for so long. We meant to post a little note telling you that we would be dark for so long, and then we completely forgot about it. Forgot. Uh, to so, that. in our defense, this is when we said we would come back. We just never shared that message with anyone Didn't. else. No. Uh, so we are on time from our point of view, but not from yours. We apologize. We're back now. Uh, and Ta-da. today, Christina's going to tell us about somebody who is not St. Peter, I hope. Yes. That would be awkward. <laughs> yeah. Do it again. Forgot who we were doing. Uh, no, not St. Peter. Uh, we're going back to just normal, normal episodes, at least for a little while. Mm. Um, <laughs> I had another idea. And I was like, that's like a whole another six-parter, so we should not do that right now. Um, so we're going to do this person instead. So today we are going to talk about a young woman who is now referred to as the passion flower of India. Hmm, okay. Yes. So we have a variety of sources, including Wikipedia, as per usual. Um, the Vatican site, uh, a faithnd.edu site. Uh, KeralaTourism.org, which is fun, uh, and others. So, we are talking about specifically the Passion Flower of India, but that is not her name. That is just a thing yeah, that, that she gets. Yeah. That is a weird name, yep. Uh, her actual, well, her saint name is Saint Alfonso of the Immaculate Conception. Sometimes, okay. for some reason, she is also referred to as Martha Alfonso. No idea where they get Martha from. Not okay. one of her original names. No okay. idea. Um, so, Alfonso was born uh, in India on August 19th of 1910. Uh, her birth name was Anakari Mata... Ah, it's so long. It's so long. <laughs> I believe Mata Tupaduthu, maybe? Mata Tupaduthu? Um, she was born in the modern state of Kerala in India, which is on the western edge southern western edge of the indian peninsula so way down okay. at the bottom so looking out towards west the side. arabian peninsula correct amundo okay um as of a little bit of background on this area because it's sort of related um 
So it's only the 13th largest state of 28 states in India by population. So okay. it's not one of the most dense areas of the country, as some other areas are. Um, it's more agricultural, as we'll talk about. Um, she was born in a smaller region or county-esque area within the state uh, called Kudamalur, uh, which is in the south-central portion of the state. Uh, and we have a lot of information about this area because turns out it's relatively uh, important in the state's history. So, according to the KeralaTourism.org site, which is a delightful site, very helpful, uh, they said, quote, Kudumulur on the banks of River Menachi uh, is known for its wonderful rural ambience. Presently under the Aymanam Panchiat, I tried. Uh, it was once the headquarters of the erstwhile Chambakasari kings and had mansions and many traditional Nalaketu houses. The descendants of the royal family now reside at the Vailamandam Nalaketu here. So, as you can tell, kings, mansions, fancy Fancy. houses. So, it is, uh, I'll talk about it a bit more, but it is kind of, it's like an Indian version of, like, mansions, estates, pasture land, that kind of thing. Uh, And it is well known for having uh, royalty in the area, slash living there, as well as the royalty that would then uh, govern the state, Kind mm-hmm. of before everything was really yeah, when it was solidified. like little broken kin- kingdoms. Yeah, so it's yeah. got that's this is also the area of the state that would have had its own like local royalty as well. So, mm-hmm. um, it's also important to note that this higher state, as well as most of India, uh, was highly influenced by the English occupation and Christianization. Uh, so even Kerala tourism, the Kerala tourism site, uh, talks a lot about this guy named Alfred George Baker. Uh, who was English, uh, and his wife and his family as, quote-unquote, revolutionizing the agricultural and educational systems of the state. Uh, And there are quite a bit of historical sites related to their home and estate uh, and just around in general. So on the one hand, Baker doesn't seem too bad, especially since I was getting this from, like, a tourism site of the state of India, but yeah, eh, he I is don't know. British though. He That's is not, British. Not a good, not yeah. a great start. And some of the things yeah. he's good for, I'm like, well, if you weren't there in the first place, it wouldn't have <laughs> been a problem. But anyway, so on the one hand, he is responsible for preserving big chunks of the state as ecological preserves, including a bird cool. sanctuary and it, as like adding a ton of, I don't know if I'd call it green space necessarily, but mangrove forests, which we'll get to in a moment. Um, But also, like I said, if the Western view at the time wasn't to use the land as much as possible, and if they had just left people alone, they wouldn't have needed to save the land. They wouldn't have needed to build ecological parks. Yeah. Yeah. So, you (laughs) know. They were already doing that. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So uh, he is also credited as having, uh, like, revolutionized the farming methods in the area that would limit soil erosion. So he introduced mangrove species on the edges of plots to keep um, the soil the in dirt place, from escaping. Mm-hmm. Yeah, from eroding away. Uh, so they were mostly doing, I think it was like coconut palm and something else. 
like rice paddy farms. So a lot of water mm-hmm. in the area. It's quite marshy, green. So that's why you're adding in mangrove species to hold some of the uh, soil down so it doesn't run away. Um, mm-hmm. Now, uh, they, the, his, there's a historic site slash estate. Uh, so the Baker Estate is now a tourist resort. Um, and it was the first modern tourist resort in the area, and it's now called the Taj Garden Retreat. So, hmm. very nice. If you look up uh, pictures of the Kerala state, it is very green. Very nice. Really is like, you know, like estate, big pasture land, but like, like tropical, tropical plants yeah. and, you know, that kind of stuff. So, so all of this is of note because all this stuff with A.G. Baker happens in the mid to late 1800s, and um, Alfonso is born in 1910. So this is very much okay. the the vibe of the area at the time. So A.G. Baker was granted the swath of 500 acres that he is responsible for in 1847. He develops much of it as farmland, etc. Him and his wife establish a school in 1886, and Baker dies at 72, and his sons and grandsons continue to own and run the property and the farms until 1989. So Baker and the Baker family is a, the, basically the biggest influence in the area. Um, but, and well, yeah, biggest influence in the area and this kind of like English pastoralism kind of estate with a bunch of people working, etc., was in full yep. swing by the time, um, Alfonso is born 1910, mm-hmm. etc. kind of prime, prime estatey time. Yep. It's probably not great. Uh, yeah. There's probably a lot in there that's not ideal, but uh, that's what we got. So, they seemed pretty jazzed about him on the tourism site, but I was like, eh. But maybe it's because of this part I'm going to talk about next, because maybe he didn't have the reign to do whatever the hell he wanted, because at the time, the area uh, Alfonso was born in, and this area where A.G. Baker is doing all his stuff... Uh, was considered a princely state. So what would uh, basically a big chunk of the state of Kerala, uh, of what is now mm-hmm. Kerala, um, at the time was a princely state, which is a basically like 90% sovereign section of India during the English occupation that was allowed uh, okay. to govern themselves as long as the person governing themselves would also occasionally chat with the yeah, English. As long as they cooperated. Right. So, yeah. uh, of importance, um, is that she was born in this princely state of Travancore, uh, within what is now Kerala, uh, and Travancore is the king from which the king of Travancore is the guy from which Baker in the mid 1800s had to get the land from. Okay. So he wasn't just handed it by the English crown. He had to physically go there and be like, hey, King of Travancore, can I have this land to do X, Y, and Z? And the guy was like, mm, yeah, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then the I think choice. there was a, a relative. Well, I, no, I think he could have said no. I think it was like he got on his, there was like a whole thing about him getting on his good side and like had to try a couple times. And mm-hmm. um, that it seemed like that king very much was kind of like, like could have said no. But what Baker was proposing seemed like a good idea. Which is why he only gets 500 acres, which is really not that much in the grand scheme of a whole state, you know? Yeah. So he really doesn't get that much land in the grand scheme of things. But, uh, yeah, so this king has to do that, and it's possible that the king had, you know, was not letting him do a whole lot of extra weird shit, you know? Mm -hmm. But I don't know. Who knows? 
So, this is the area that she is born in. So she mm-hmm. is born in this same area, and you can imagine the king of Travancore is probably living in Travancore. Um, so, mm-hmm. same kind of vibes, etc. Now, back to her. This is the vicinity she is born in, and mm-hmm. she may or may not have been born to a lord-ish family. Unclear. Okay. So, it said that she was born uh, premature at only eight months, uh, when, uh, theoretically, her mother received a great fright when a snake wrapped itself around her waist while she was asleep. Mm, that would be bad. That sounds awful. Yes. Yeah, it does. <laughs> so that's why she was born early. Uh, <laughs> and this basically leads to a bunch of health problems for the rest of her life, which, even today, yep. babies born early don't necessarily do great. So after her birth, she was baptized about a week later as an infant. Um, so she grows up in a family that is already Christian, Catholic, etc. She does not convert. Okay. Uh, about three months later, after she is born, her mother dies, likely a result mm. of some birth complications, especially if the baby was yeah. early. Yeah. Um, and at birth, uh, she was named Anna Cuddy, which is a diminutive of the name Anna or Anne. Okay. So her birth name, Anna Cuddy. Um, and she was eventually mostly raised by her maternal aunt, who is said to have been relatively stern. It ranges from people calling her stern to, like, straight-up abusive. So, mm-hmm. okay. don't really know. So probably not great. Probably not great, but maybe not either of the extremes. <laughs> yeah. Um, in 1916, at the age of six, uh, she starts school in a nearby town and gets her first communion in 1917. Uh, growing up, she spends a lot of times with her grandparents as well, and she remembers her grandmother telling her stories about the saints and teaching her various Christian prayers and songs. Um, so wait, does she does she not have any siblings? Was she the first child? In one source, I found that she was the fifth child, mm. but we don't have anything else about her siblings. Okay. And that wasn't listed everywhere, so I don't... No, okay, so if maybe were... she doesn't have any siblings. Yes, but she also might, okay. but they just not not particularly important. Don't come up. Okay. Yeah. Um, the idea that she was born to a partially like wealthy or like somewhat royal family seems possible, especially since she got so much education from very early on, mm-hmm. which doesn't seem likely for somebody who's in a more like uh, farming pastoral yeah. situation. You know, why not? So even even at the time in like the early 1900s, if you're just farming, like even in the U.S. in the early 1900s, if you're just a farm kid, you may or may not actually go to school, you know. Yeah. So it seems likely that she might actually have been from uh, a more wealthy lordish family, um, especially in this area where there's a lot of those families going on. Mm-hmm. So uh, after her first communion, she would tell her friends, quote, do you know why I'm so particularly happy today? It's because I have Jesus in my heart. What a nerd. I know. And that was when she was like <laughs> seven. <laughs> uh, much later, as an adult, uh, she would write a letter. Um, in this is way, way later, just slightly before she, she dies. But she would write a letter saying, quote, Already from the age of seven, I was no longer mine. I was totally dedicated to my divine spouse. Your reverence knows it well. So I don't like it when they call Jesus their spouse. Yep. Um, but it's interesting because a lot of times we hear about the kids who are like, oh, yeah, this kid was ultra holy when they right. were 
six, yeah. whatever. And we're always like, eh, well, were they though? Yeah. <laughs> or is it just like people looking back and being like, mm. they must have been. Uh, holy, but if, yeah. I guess if she wrote it about herself, then that probably means more yeah. than if like some guy who knew her, right? Yeah, looked back and said, yeah, it, so it seems like, good, I guess, yeah, she seems like she talks about it. She's got to talk about it again. Loves like stuff when she was relatively young, and it's like, damn, <laughs> that's crazy. Okay, so. Uh, as she grew up, uh, theoretically, she comes from a relatively well-off, prominent family. So she had a bunch of marriage proposals, as mm, you do. Fun. She was also thought, like, generally seen as very pretty. Like, she was very beautiful, things like that. Um, so all of those things combined means she's going to have a lot of marriage proposals. And her stepmother mm-hmm. slash aunt um, very much wanted to marry her off for, like, a good person to, like, increase increase all of the uh yeah. prominence and such um and she does not want to do that as many of our saints do not want to do so around this time uh 13ish you know between 10 and 16 is approximately when all this stuff is happening uh yeah. she reports that she has a vision of saint therese of lijou uh who appears to her and tells her that she would one day become a saint and that she should reserve herself for Christ. That's exciting news. That is exciting. Is it? Actually, I think that's bad news. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah. well, <laughs> I changed my mind. I think yeah. that's bad. I don't think you want, I don't think that you want someone to tell you that when you're 14. You're like, <laughs> I think wow, that's bad news. awful is going to happen to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, great. <laughs> um, so after this and for the rest of her life, St. Teresa is, uh, her main like patron saint, her, her model, et cetera, et cetera, which is also where she gets the name, the passion flower of India, because mm-hmm. St. Teresa was named, was also like given the moniker of the little flower. So, okay. That's where all this is associated. So is this Therese lady and where is she from? Lijou. L-I-S-I-E-U-Z. Yeah. Yeah. France. Yeah. So, okay. So, in one story, um, we know that this event happened, and she claims it happened this way and for this reason, but it's also okay. possible it was just an accident. So, Okay. It's a good start to a story. Yeah. Take with a grain of salt. So, uh, there is one story where she's trying to avoid uh, a marriage proposal, so her aunt is just like you've turned down too many proposals you're gonna take this one i'm gonna make you take like we're taking this one like you're gonna marry this guy um kind of like this is kind of like the apex of all the marriage proposals you know aunt's pissed off that she hasn't accepted any and she's like no you're gonna take this one one. we're doing it yeah so alfonso's like well i really don't want to do that because christ is my spouse awful phrase but that's the reason (laughs) um (laughs) So she either accidentally or on purpose fell into a pit of burning chaff, uh, which chaff is the little Stuff shell they take that's off on grain. grain. Yeah. yeah. So when you're processing grain to actually get um, stuff that you can make into flour, you have to get the little hard bit on the outside off. Um, so she falls into a pit of burning chaff and severely burns her feet. And this leaves her disfigured and makes walking difficult. And she is partially disabled for the rest of her life. That's gross. So, before you say anything, she says on this in her writings and letters and stuff, she says, quote, My marriage was arranged when I was 13 years old. 
What had I to do to avoid it? I prayed all that night. Then then an idea came to me. If my body were a little disfigured, no one would want me. Oh, how I suffered. I offered all for my great intention. Okay. So that's bad. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Here's what I'm feeling about Jesus being your spouse. Yep. That if Jesus is your spouse, you should be able to avoid things like this. Uh, oh, wait till she, what she says later in about a paragraph and a half. Uh, I do not think that my spouse would let me do this. Yes. Well. Yes. It is unfortunate. And we will get there. And Jesus is considerably more powerful than my spouse. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. So not great. Uh. Yeah, that's bad. And yeah. So initially at first when I read that, I was like, did that actually happen? Like, is that actually why she did that? Or was it actually an accident? But then she says she does it on purpose, so bad at least at least at after this kid needs therapy right all right well anyway so and also not to get married when she's 13 Let's also do. that those uh, things together yes that is also not yeah. great um you know if she had been like 17 you'd been like eh. i mean that's at least the time to get married but 13 is very early yeah it's too early anywho um so at the age of 17 she is finally able to pursue a life in a convent in you know, in the church, you know, uh, basically she, between that time of the, she's recovering, but also, you know, fighting with her aunt and like trying to prove that nobody wants her anymore. Cause she's disfigured, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And Wait, finally, yes. how disfigured is she? Does she just have like burn scars on her legs? Yeah. That does not seem disfigured enough. Right. But apparently it is. Cause like they're wealthy. Wouldn't she be wearing pants and shoes all the time? She's not like walking around with her legs exposed. The I difference think it, as long as she I can still walk. Yeah, she she definitely can still walk. She's just not as good at it. But I think, you I know... I can't see that being enough, but I guess... Back in that time, like... Because especially in, you know, Indian cultures where so much of it's kind of like the mothers doing the arranging. Yeah. And if her step... If one of... If the other mother finds out that she, like, she's not perfect in every way, basically, is she going to... Yeah, like, I mean, I could see how it would be a problem if you were poor, but, like, yeah. surely her, her wealth and her position and stuff and her beauty otherwise can sort of make know. up for scars that no know. one will ever see anyway. I feel like people didn't think this through. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. It worked, though, so, like... <laughs> hey. Yep. Okay. Um, terrible thing, but okay. So, by 17, she's finally able to go to convents. So, she goes to the Franciscan Clarisk Congregational Conference... Con- conference? Convent that's nearby in 1927. She becomes a postulant in 1928 and about a year later uh, takes the name Alfonso of the Immaculate Conception in honor of St. Alphonsus Liguri, whose feast day it was when she did that. Mm, that Okay. So. Why didn't she name herself after her her buddy Teresa? Teresa, I don't know. Okay. Couldn't tell you. That was the reason that I was given. So. Um, At the convent, she finishes her education and she is assigned to teach at a high school. Uh, over the next few years, she was around, she's teaching at a bunch of schools, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, uh, then in 1931, so a little bit later, she finally completes, uh, the novitiate and in 36, she takes her permanent vows. Unfortunately, between 1930 and 1935, she is just continuously sick, uh, severely sick. And this has been made her referred to as a victim soul. Which is apparently like somebody who is chosen by God to suffer more than others, so that others may be saved. Don't like that. Which is not great. 
but that is the thing that is going See, on. This is when when Therese told her that she was going to be a saint. This is not. This not, is not good. Not this good is news. This is the bad part. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, so she says, "Quote: I made my perpetual profession on the twelfth of August, nineteen thirty-six, and came here to Baranaganem on the following fourteenth. From that time, it seems, I was entrusted with a part of the cross of Christ." There are abundant occasions of suffering. I have a great desire to suffer with joy. It seems that my spouse wishes to fulfill this desire. I really don't like that spouse stuff. No. And also, the whole thing of my spouse wouldn't let me to do this, except she's like, my spouse spouse is going to help me suffer. That's not a good spouse. It's not good. Not great. Jesus, this is how you know that Jesus is not her spouse, because he yes. would be a terrible spouse. Terrible spouse. This is, yes. this is the actions of a terrible spouse. Terrible spouse. Yes. And uh, she would also tell her friends, quote, the grains of wheat are ground, then the white flour is obtained. This is baked and transformed into the host for the Holy Eucharist. Even so must, even so must we be ground and crushed and transformed by suffering. Don't like it. It is reminding me of um, Kateri Tekakwitha, the Mohawk girl. Yes. She was also very sick and very like, cause she remember her friend was so concerned about how much she was punishing herself that she had to tell the priest and the priest had to tell her to stop. Yeah. Yeah. I'm getting some Yeah. We've vibes. had a couple different saints that are like this, that they're very much like, cause that's the whole part of, uh, what is, what is the word when they just like give up all their stuff and, you know, living in poverty is supposed Asceticism. to be a form of suffering. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of them are like this, but she, we have a lot of her her writings and letters and stuff so all right okay so over this time she is unable to teach for the most part and instead is you know an assistant and you know helping out in the schools because she can't directly teach herself because she's too sick and she is also a secretary at some point where she would write official letters to the government and the diocese etc because she had particularly beautiful script Mm, so they were like hey you can write these letters for us you write good. Yep, so. and we don't have typewriters yet. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so. Oh, here is another story about suffering. So in this time is theoretically. So, okay. So either. It's a little bit unclear. In most sources, it seemed like she only had one vision of St. Teresa when she was young. She about was a the, kid. Yeah. The, yeah. About the marriages and stuff and she was going to suffer but here's another story of another one so this is okay. why in some spots they call her a prophetic um, because she was predicting things based on what saint Teresa told her so in the second vision uh, around this time when she's very sick uh so a vision of saint Teresa, the little flower which is where she gets her name she told alfonza that she would not suffer from contagious diseases but that she would continue to suffer in some way throughout the remainder of her life. Related to this, closely adjacent, there is a story about Alfonso that says she asked God to remove the malaria from a bishop and a teaching sister, who she knew, and put those symptoms on her as part of her suffering. And the story is that her prayers were answered and she became the bearer of those illnesses. But that all of the illnesses and suffering that she endured were not contagious. So she couldn't get other people sick, basically, is what Teresa told her. 
So Teresa is like a bearer of terrible news, it sounds like. Yes. <laughs> yeah. She doesn't sound like a flower at all. Like, no. <laughs> damn. Sounds uh, awful. Also, malaria is not contagious anyway. No, that's true. That's true. You can't get well, I mean, malaria it, to somebody. Sort of is contagious. But. I mean, you can, yeah, but you kind of can, but there's like a lot of there's very... There's a lot of steps if, in there. There's a lot of yes. if steps in Correct. between. Yeah. yeah. But also, like, she wasn't going to get, like, tuberculosis or something. Yeah. Even though later, I think one of the things she does get a lot is pneumonia, but... Mm, that's contagious. Yes, but apparently it was fine. So. I mean, I guess it's 1940 or whatever. No, they would know that, and I think that that stuff was contagious. All right. It's fine. <laughs> Anywho. Uh, so generally, we're unclear as to exactly what the illnesses were, but... She had pneumonia, possibly multiple times. Uh, she was psychologically scarred from when a thief robbed her room, uh, which caused her to have a period of amnesia. Ooh, bummer. I'm not sure how long the amnesia lasted, but it seems like it may have lasted on the scale of years. Ooh, that's a very long time. Yeah. So ultra-traumatic robbery. Right. So in 1941... She receives an extreme unction, which mm. is just a crazy word, <laughs> uh, which I had to look into because I was like, what is an extreme unction? <laughs> so an extreme unction is a version of the anointing of the sick for those who are like super duper, super duper, super duper sick. Like, okay. uh, like it's almost a combo of the anointing of the sick and the last rites. Because uh, yeah. they're like, hey, like could you maybe yeah. get better? But also, if you don't get better, here are the last rites. Just in case. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. just in case. <laughs> so it's like a, a big, like, you know, intercession kind of thing. But it's said that the next day after her extreme unction, she regained her memory. So okay. her amnesia went away. Should have tried that earlier. Uh, Yeah, maybe. But her health was still pretty bad, but she remembered stuff now. Um, <laughs> uh, so I've she... had a thought about Teresa. Yes. Maybe Teresa didn't know that these diseases weren't contagious because Teresa's from, like, the 1400s and didn't know. Yes. Uh, (laughs) maybe. It's not that she got it wrong. It's just that she's old-timey and doesn't know. Well, the next two uh, illnesses that we think she had are definitely not contagious. Okay. Okay. Pneumonia might be, but these ones are not. So, um, she continues to improve in health generally between 41 to 45, 1945. Uh, but then okay. she gets gastroenteritis and liver issues uh, that are causing seizures and vomiting, which is Bummer. very bad. Uh, Does the war not affect them at all? There is no thoughts on the war. None. Okay. Yes. I don't know how many soldiers they actually pulled from India. So maybe. I don't know. Because they would have been part of the English big of a deal. military. Yeah, right? they would have been part of the English army. Yeah. And also she was a woman and she was sick and she was a nun. And she's in a convent, so maybe yeah. just... Not really. Okay. Yeah. Um, At the same time as the seizures and the vomiting and the gastroenteritis and the liver issues, she also may or may not have had an abdominal tumor that was maybe causing or associated with some of this stuff. So, you know, unclear as to what actually comes first, what causes what. She's only in like her mid thirties, early thirties. Correct. Amundo. Yeah. So she said, quote, I feel that the Lord has destined me to be an oblation, a sacrifice of suffering. I consider a day in which I have not suffered as a day lost to me. Bummer. Yeah. I guess you get used to it. I mean, I guess. <laughs> I mean, also, like, 
I imagine a lot of people were very sick in right. rural places. Yeah. People were still getting tuberculosis and smallpox and shit. Yeah. So I guess this would not be as unusual as it is, as it is now. Yeah. So, anywho. Okay. <laughs> After all of these illnesses, uh, eventually, finally, she dies in 1946 at the age of 35. And mm. she is buried at the St. Mary's Catholic Church in Travancore. Bummer. Yes. So she does die quite young, considering. Um, yep. And, you know, they do mention that she was kind of ill for her whole life, possibly related yeah. to her being premature. But yeah. as a kid, like, they really did not mention that. Like, they would say she was ill her whole life, but then she doesn't actually get and ill until no she's, evidence like, of that 20. until she's in her 20s. Yeah. yeah. So it seems like she was actually relatively okay. Because, I mean, she was she was born early, but, like, not as early as it would no, be. Like, not that really early, bad. yeah. 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 Uh, she's technically, she could have even have been born within, like, the normal range of, like, a term, you know? Especially yeah. at the time when her mom may or may not have actually known when she was conceived, yeah. you know? So, yeah. it seems like she was pretty much fine. And so to die at 35 is rough, especially from something like a tumor that young is intense. So... I feel like this is teaching me that if I ever have a vision of a saint, I should not listen to them. <laughs> or you should be like, don't tell me, don't tell me anything. Go away, yes. go away, go, go away. away. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to know. Yeah. Okay. So she is dead. Sad. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Miracles begin immediately. Excellent. Instantly. Uh, they mostly involve children uh, that are going to the convent school where she used to teach. Um, and... These claims of, like, medical healings, basically, mostly what she does, um, mm -hmm. are so common that Cardinal Eugene Tisserant began the case for her beatification in 1953, which is only seven years after her death. Isn't there a time limit? Uh, it has to be at least five, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, that also might have been set up in Vatican II, which won't have happened yet. Which won't have happened yet, yeah. That's very quick. That's right? very quick for... Like nobody is if that her, quick, except for like her, John Paul II. <laughs> like if her if her canonization stuff is coming from post death healings, then was it necessary for her to suffer so much? <laughs> I, don't <know. laughs> I don't know, man. I don't. Know. Couldn't she have had the post death healings without the suffering in life? I mean, but all like of them. Nice all of them have like a little bit of suffering, usually. Yes. Yeah, probably not. But yeah, hey, right. but would she be so strong in healing and not wanting other people to suffer, especially children, if she hadn't suffered herself? Maybe. Would she have the, the the you know the compassion, the experience to be like, well, the kids shouldn't be suffering that much, you know? Maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, A loophole. So, yes, <laughs> loophole. So yeah, 1953. So fast. So fast. Yeah, that is fast. Like. That's fast for modern times, and this is in the 50s, so yeah. insane. Basically, there, it's happening so much, it's so common that these miracles come up, that the cardinal is brought in, and then everybody's like, yo. <laughs> the local cardinal knows about this now, within seven years of her death. So, in 1985, Pope John Paul II approves the first miracle she needs, um, and she is beatified by Pope John Paul II in 1986. So still very fast. Uh, not even 50 years things. yet. 
Hmm? Yeah, not even not 50 even years. fifty years since she's died. Yeah, so she is beatified in thirty three years. That's very fast. Which is very fast, especially yeah. since uh, half the half the time that is is just like paperwork time that it takes to like mail things in the fifties. Mm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> from India to, to Rome. Yep. Uh, so. During her beatification, uh, during the ceremony, uh, John Paul II said, quote, about her, described her, um, from early in her life, Sister Alfonso experienced great suffering. With the passing of the years, the Heavenly Father gave her an even fuller share in the passion of his beloved son. We recall how she experienced not only physical pain of great intensity, but also the spiritual suffering of being misunderstood and misjudged by others but she constantly accepted all of her sufferings with serenity and trust in God. She wrote to her spiritual director, quote, Dear Father, as my good Lord Jesus loves me so very much, I sincerely desire to remain on this sick bed and suffer not only this, but anything else besides, even to the end of the world. I feel now that God has intended my life to be an oblation, a sacrifice of suffering. End quote. She came to love suffering because she loved the suffering Christ. She learned to love the cross through her love of the crucified Lord. Thanks, J- JP, too. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's nice, I guess. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yep. So, of the miracles, because we love miracles. Mm-hmm. Uh, hundreds, hundreds of miracles. But of the ones that the Vatican looks into and become yeah. the causes of her uh, beatification and then later canonization. Um, so she is mostly credited with uh, straightening and fixing feet and legs of children. Possibly because she had deformed feet herself after the burning yep. incident. So pretty much every all of them are kids with um, foot leg issues. Yep. Um, Rickets. Yes. Or like polio results. Yep. Etc. Yes. So, two of these curing incidents are what are taken as proof for her beatification mm-hmm. and the canonization. Um, although more mi- miracles are still reported and continue to be reported. One of the cases, uh, and this case is the one that ends up being the reason for her canonization. But this is described by uh, Bishop Sebastian, who is one of the ones who was there, slash in the region, slash investigated it, etc., So this is what he says. About 10 years ago, when I was in a small village in Wayanad outside Manitavity, I saw a boy walking with some difficulty using a stick. As he approached me, I noticed, I noted that both of his feet were turned upside down. I had a stack of holy cards in my pocket with Alphonse's picture on them. So I pulled one of them out and gave it to the boy. When I told the boy that he should pray to this woman for the cure of his feet, the boy, he was quite smart for a 10 year old replied, Quote, but I am a Muslim, and besides, I was born this way. I replied that God is very powerful, so let's pray. A few months later, a boy and a gentleman appeared at the house here. I didn't recognize them at first, but soon learned that it was the Muslim boy with his father, here to tell me that his feet had been cured through their prayers to Sister Alfonso. They showed me the calluses on the tops of his feet, and you could see the marks which had been made from the years of his walking with his feet turned under. Before they left, the three of us had our pictures taken. So the boy had reportedly taken Alfonso's picture card and asked Alfonso to help fix his feet. Several days afterwards, one of his feet turned around by itself. 
and he and the other members of his family then prayed for the cure and the second foot, uh, which then also turned around. Gross. Don't like that. So. Uh, it's nice that he he's is Muslim, but don't like it. They don't like it. Yep. It's yeah, not a great okay. thing to imagine, but you just, you no, just gotta skip that, that process and just be like, well, he's fine now. So. Okay. And this boy uh, was uh, examined by the doctors of the Vatican. Uh, mm-hmm. He was 10-year-old Janelle Joseph, who had a birth defect. Uh, so the his feet were a birth defect. He had had them his entire life. Um, and he was healed by St. Alfonso in 1999, as described in the story above. Uh, and he was taken by some of the, um, the cardinals and such, and his family were brought to the Vatican for the canonization ceremony of St. Alfonso in 2008. Well, that's nice. I guess. So that was Wait, 1999. Would, is this another person that's going to be about our age? I don't like that. No. Well, was, so he would, he would he have was been born in? he would have been born in 89. The kid. Not that much older yeah. than us. Because the yeah. healing, healing happened when he was 10 and it happened in 1999. Yeah. So he was born in 89. Um, and so he was, you know, almost 20. He was in his teens by the time the canonization happens in 2008. Yeah. Um, okay. And he goes with his family and such. And he is the one who was examined by the doctors when he was 10. It's weird when they're this recent. Mm-hmm. That is very weird. And the we- I think the weird part about that is they a lot of people reference that you could see the calluses of where that were formed when his feet were not correctly oriented and now they are so the calluses are like still there because it takes forever for those to go away yeah but he walked like there's no reason you would have those calluses if you were always walking normally right and you don't just like create calluses yes all right I don't like it. I don't like feet flipping over, but I accept. (laughs) It's weird. That's a modern one though. But yeah, so that is the one that makes her a saint. uh, And that's the one that we have all the, the descriptions on, but theoretically the one for her beatification was similar. Something along. That's like the, that's like Kateri Tekakwitha too, because her, one of her canonization ones was another person who was born in the uh, the, 90s, another person who's about our age. And he had a flesh eating bacteria, which is also very weird. Oh, it's also weird. Yeah. So we're, (laughs) we're fixing the really weird shit that God's like, Oh, the doctors don't got this down yet. We got to fix this right now. (laughs) Oh no. (laughs) The medicine hasn't gotten there yet. I need to proceed a little bit. Okay. Um, so, yes. So, like I said, uh, she is canonized on October 12th of 2008 by Pope Benedict XVI. Um, so, from the time of the healing in 1999, it is, what, nine years? It takes nine mm-hmm. years for them to check and confirm that this saint, this uh, uh, miracle yeah. is a miracle, and then she is canonized, which is also pretty quick. Um, yeah, it is. Considering. Sometimes those claimed miracles checking takes forever so mm-hmm. not too bad uh yep. so a sister celia who was the mother general of the franciscan clarist congregation presents her relics that have been dug up from her uh grave to, to the pope for her canonization during the ceremony um during the ceremony uh benedict the 16th says in his homily he recalls alfonso's life as quote 
one of extreme physical and spiritual suffering. This exceptional woman was convinced that her cross was the very means of reaching the heavenly banquet prepared for her by the Father. By accepting the invitation to the wedding feast and by adorning herself with the garment of God's grace through prayer and penance, she conformed her life to Christ's and now delights in the rich fare of, and choice wines of the heavenly kingdom. Her heroic virtues of patience, fortitude, and perseverance in the midst of deep suffering remind us that God always provides the strength we need to overcome every trial. Isn't that nice? It is nice. It is nice. They say some nice things when they get canonized, and I like when we have the quotes. Sometimes we don't. Mm -hmm. But when they're modern, we usually have the quotes. So, back in India, they build a chapel over the site of her original grave, and that's where her relics and remains are now. Uh, in 2009, the Reserve Bank of, Ish of India issued a commemorative five-rupee coin. That's got her face Ooh, on it. Fun. That mm -hmm. marks the centenary of her birth. Uh, miracles continue to be reported at her tomb and uh, at a church in Keralia that was named after her, St. Alphonse's Church, Catholic Church. Uh, mm -hmm. Today, her feast day is July 28th, which is the day she died, uh, and she is considered a patron against illness, uh, diseases related to the feet, and she's the patroness of India, or one of the patronesses of India. Mm, um, at the time, well, I guess still, technically, she was the first woman uh, of Indian origin to become canonized. So mm, That's surprising to me. I think the problem is a lot of the people who are related to India are English. English. Yes. Yeah. Same thing. It's the same problem we have with Oceania, where there aren't actually they weren't actually born there. They aren't actually There's not that many native born. Them. Ones, yeah. Yeah. They were you know immigrants came there as proselytizers basically. So mm -hmm. um, she's the first woman, which is first woman of Indian origin, which is kind of nice. And mm -hmm. uh, just before her canonization, uh, there was a commemorative stamp also issued by the state Keralia. Uh, postal service in the 1990s with her face mm, on it. Fun. So, That's how you know you've made it. Yes, she has a coin and a stamp. And she just seems very nice. If you look up a picture of her, she just looks like a nice lady. Like a nice young woman. Oh, yeah, she does. I feel like she would be fun to hang out with. So that is uh, the first Indian woman it's weird that there are photos of her. It is odd, but it, I mean... I mean, I guess that makes sense, but... <laughs> she died in the 40s. Still weird. So, yeah. And there's a, oh. uh, some pictures, you can find pictures of her shrine, which are fun. And in general, uh, there were some people, uh, even people who had been like governors of the state, like more modern governors and stuff. Uh, some mm -hmm. of them attended the canonization in the Vatican. And... Um, some of them have, like, created, um, it's kind of like a really, just in general, a really big deal in that state of India, that she is, like, from there, and she is their person, and they talk about a lot how Keralia is, like, going to be the new Lisieux in France, mm -hmm. of, like, St. Therese, like, with, you know, tourism and people visiting, and, yeah. Mm -hmm. She seems, she seems very nice. Yeah, she seems like she has a much more straightforward sainty story than she does, yeah. a lot of the other ones. And we got we this got is, some this visions. This is what you in imagine there. of a saint. Mm hmm We love some visions. We love uh some really solid 
uh, miracle spooky miracle encounter encounters because sometimes they're really vague and I'm like, but somebody has the information. Yeah, well, it helps that it's so recent. Yes, that's true. It wasn't in 1300. Did you see the photo of her deathbed? Oh yeah. Look at that. She has a gingham bedspread. She does. She also has a, a wreath, which looks mm-hmm. nice. Yep. And this is the coin, I think. It's a good coin. Yes. It's a good coin. We love it. Oh, here's the coin and the stamp. It's like the uh it's like the next step up from having a Wikipedia page. Well, getting a coin or a stamp? Yeah. <laughs> I think getting a stamp is That's the next one up and then it. And then if you get a coin, you know you've really made it. Yeah. Because like stamps are Wikipedia easier to page, make. Then stamps, yeah. then coins. Yeah. Yeah. Because stamps are way, way easier than coins. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's fun. Yes. And I like this uh, little art that they use on her Wikipedia page. Yeah, the rainbow one is cute, yeah. Yes. I like it. She seems nice. Well, she seems chill. Except for the marrying Jesus part, which I stand by not liking. Yep. And the burning yep. of her feet. Mm, sounds awful. bad. But might have been an accident, so we can... Yes, might have been an accident, might have been on purpose. Yes. Neither... The, the end The end result of either one of those is still bad. <laughs> still bad. Yeah, make still make your feet hurt real bad. Were they... What did, why did they say that they were hot? Were they burning them, like, to get rid of it? Um, it, I didn't say why, but uh, that's one of the big uh, risks. Chaff, in general, and dry grain is just, like, super fucking flammable. Which is yeah. why being in grain mills and stuff go grain up too. silos, yeah, is like yeah. really dangerous because it can just like spontaneously combust. Um, so mm. I think either they were burning it to prevent that from happening, so like get rid of it in the first, like control it, do a controlled burn basically, yeah. or it was like you know just a pit of chaff that was kind of always on fire and people just accepted that, um, <laughs> and so she fell into it. Yeah. So, uh could have been either one. It's probably likely that they were burning it, like, doing controlled burns of it when they could, mm-hmm, because it's yeah. so dangerous otherwise just to have it around. So I wouldn't be surprised if that's common in a lot of uh, Yeah, and it just takes areas. up space, so you may as well get rid of it. Right. It's dangerous, takes up space. Don't let children jump into it. No. Definitely not. 13-year-olds. Yep. Well, good job. Yeah. I uh, hope everyone enjoyed that much shorter story. Oh, Yes. Yes. <laughs> Much less complicated. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, we will post so... some of the photos on um, Instagram. Yep. Uh, yep, we'll post the photos. The handle is at martyrandmonk, um, which will be up on the same day that this podcast comes out. Uh, and if you could do all of the normal podcast things, uh, like interview and subscribe on whichever platform you use, that really helps us out, helps new people find us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we will be back in two weeks with another saint. See ya.